Nothing changes instantaneously. In a gradually heating bathtub, you'd be boiled to death before you knew it. Our Father, who art in heaven. Seriously? What the actual fuck? Gilead doesn't care about children. Gilead cares about power. Why does healing have to be the only goal? Why can't we be as furious as we feel? For whatever man sows, so shall he reap. Welcome to Above the Garage. Hi, friends. Welcome to our analysis of Season 4, Episode 9 of The Handmaid's Tale, which is entitled Progress. Let's do our round of introductions and dive in. Hi, I'm Tina. Hi, I'm Megan. I am Ginger. Hi, I'm Yulia. Hi, I'm Scarlett. And I'm Kate. So the episode opens with close-ups of Luke and June staring at each other, and you can really only hear Luke's shaky breathing. But the implication is that June's been telling Luke about the actual last time she saw Hannah. Telling him since last night, I guess, when she came home and approached him in the bedroom. Um, after presumably telling him everything, June apologizes to him again and he tells her, no, they put Hannah in that situation, those fucking animals. That's on them, not on you. When June tells him that Nick told her that Hannah's safe now, that she's back home, Luke gets annoyed and looks to the side, shaking his head. Home? Home is here. Home is here with us. And it reminded me a lot of the scene between Luke and Nick. Well, the one scene between Luke and Nick, because first he tells Nick, you people are animals, which is the same word he used here. And secondly, he has the same reaction to Nick's information as he did at the bar when Nick said June was fine. Fine. She's not fine. Home. She's not home. Anyway, it just struck me as very similar. Then Luke says, we have to find her and bring her to Canada. And and June asks how, and he says, we can do it together and shows her what he's worked on so far, which which we haven't seen yet. So he has lots of files, interviews with people who escaped, news clippings, apparently even lawsuits that went nowhere. And then Moira walks in and June tells her that she told Luke everything about Hannah. So I guess she already told Moira. And Luke says, I got a VIP on my side. Moira says, you got 86 kids out of Gilead. You have power, use it. But there are not good vibes going on between Moira and June after the sport group thing. And the scene ends with June suggesting contacting someone new, someone in Gilead. Can I just say something before the episode actually starts? We see the recap. And I think yeah. there's a really, really important scene in the recap um, when June's like rose over of her testimony place and she says the underground resistance movement and Gilead provided for me to escape. And we see a scene of Nick. Um, yeah. When like the finale of season two, when he's holding Fred at gunpoint. And so I think this is like very, very in our face as an audience because they could have literally used every other scene right for this voiceover like Malfra's getting her out I don't know the reader trying to help her but they choose Nick here and I think this is very very important and they and they chose that scene with him holding him at gunpoint yeah so they went back to season three episode one just to show that yeah, it's definitely intentional. Good point, Yulia. I think as soon as Luke heard Nick's name, he got upset. Probably, I I was wondering if he was kind of mad because she saw Nick before she left. So like, because when he last heard her speak about Nick was on the tape. But also, I don't think he liked that Nick said that his daughter was safe with the Mackenzies. So I feel like there was multiple reasons why he was mad about that. And then I also thought it was interesting that um, she says... To, to Luke at one point, now you know everything about Hannah, um, which is a throw like a parallel to an episode eight where she, Luke said to June, well, now I know everything and we can move on. So I think she's implying to him like, yeah, you know everything about Hannah now, all, not all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. 
not about me. Yeah. I had a thought, you know, she's looking at all the paperwork and Luke says to her, okay, well, let's just try all of this again. He says, we'll bang on every door. We'll call up anybody of use. And it just shows how different they are. You know, it's like he's stuck in this old way, right? He wants to do what he knows, what's familiar. But June has heard him say, I've done all this. I've tried the lawsuit. I've tried knocking on doors. None of it works. And she wants to move on. She wants to try something new. She wants to use new resources. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're in very different places at this point. I think it's because she knows that if it didn't work for Luke, it's not going to work for her. Right. I know exactly. like her reaction, obviously we'll talk a little bit further, like her reaction to this file versus the other, like why is she being so rude about or dry about what Luke has been able to do because that's what he's been able to do. Hmm. And it's, I don't think it's because that's all he did kind of like dismissing it. I just think she's just looking at the information and realizing I'm not going to be able to do anything from Canada. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Nothing's been done in five to seven years, whatever the timeline Mm -hmm. is. So he has all those information. Yeah. But nothing. What's going to change. He's already, he already gathered everything he can gather. Mm -hmm. What is there more to do? Yeah, so the next scene, we hear a phone ringing and June looking stressed, and then Lawrence's voice. He's excited to hear from her. Hello, June Osborne, and hello, Canada. So he knows Canada's listening. And Luke and Tuella are in the room with her. She starts with, how are you? And Lawrence gets straight to the point. Oh, I'm peachy. What do you want, basically? She asks him for help getting Hannah, and Lawrence calls her mother of the year, says she's caused Hannah nothing but trouble, and she should leave her alone. And when June says nobody will love her like we do, he tells her, your love fucks people up. Which is accurate. You're a fountain of heartache and trouble. That was mean, but the camera focuses on Luke. And we also know Lawrence is probably talking about Nick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I got out of that. Me too. Uh-huh. He doesn't right. know Luke, so he wouldn't be thinking. <laughs> right. But he says she'll be happy to hear that her friend is okay, the one with the eye patch. She's safe and sound at the Red Center with Aunt Lydia to tuck her in at night. And June's fighting back tears because that's very bad news. But she takes a moment to gather herself and gets back on track, offering him an amendment to the Gilead Canada trade agreement in exchange for Hannah. But Lawrence laughs that off, instead offers to trade her Hannah in exchange for 10 kids from Angel's Flight. He's heard they're struggling to adjust. She shuts him down and says, and he says the June I knew would at least bargain, offer five of those kids for Hannah. And it takes her a moment before she says the obvious, I can't know. Lawrence says she's gone soft in Canada. Must be all that maple syrup. We love her, she <laughs> says. We are her family. Joseph, I know you're a good man. And you can see, see that he's like clearly feeling emotional about it all. But as he's wont to do, he jokes, I hear they're hard to find. She promises him they'll protect him. And Lawrence reminds her that she's free. Try to be grateful for that and move on. And he hangs up the phone before saying, if you can. And he's really affected by it. He cares about her a lot. I like that he says towards the end, now it's not the time for me to stir up any trouble. And Mm -hmm. I think that in this in this call, you can see that he's he's kind of giving her a harsh dose of reality. You know, when he says your love fucks people up and she knows that she knows she's lost people. And I also think that when he does the deal, like let's trade, it just reminded me of the Martha folders in the the picking up of, of the Marthas. So it's he's kind of testing her also in a way to see what her mindset is. But I think that he's also giving her information in this call. You know, he's letting her know that Janine's okay. Because I'm pretty sure he has to assume that she's worried about Janine. But that that line, now it's not the time for me to stir up trouble. I think it was just, I'm not going to help. It's not that I'm not going to help you. It's just that I can't help you right now. So right. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, he's kind of like on probation. <laughs> you know, they're watching him. Yeah, also 
she was his handmaid and they brought right. him in front of the council and questioned him like your handmaid did all this what did you know and he's like oh I was deceived by a woman I didn't yeah. know anything so why are you helping this woman now getting her kid out right this is like super suspicious if he would like bring this in front of the council and propose this right they would know that okay you're still helping her come on mm-hmm. <laughs> I also like after um he hangs up you know he tells her he tells her to try and move on. Right. And then when he hangs up, he says, if you can. Right. And I think that's really mm-hmm. telling. He knows, I think he knows she's not going to be able to move on. No. Um, but you know, he's not going to say that to her, but I-, I liked that little addition at the end of the call. Mm-hmm. Also, I think the last time Lawrence saw June, she was like a major badass and telling him what to do and bossing him around, you know, when she's doing the whole angels flight thing. And now she just sounds so broken and like not the strong woman that he knew when he last saw her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's why he called her out was like, this is not, you know, you, what, what mm-hmm. did he say? This is mm-hmm. not like the June that I knew. It kind of also reminded me of when he was talking to Nick and Nick was like, I can't move on. And he's yeah. like, I know. He knows and then yeah he knows yeah. she won't be able to, to move on you know they're mm-hmm. both in a place where they're kind of just in this limbo i think it was interesting though for luke to hear this conversation because he doesn't know anything about like what life has been like for her so he's hearing her actually talk to her her commander and i don't know i guess maybe get a little bit of insight as to like what it's like yeah <laughs> i always wondered too like when Lawrence said, your love fucks people up. I always wondered what Luke was thinking when he heard that, you know, I bet he's like, why is she saying that? Who's, whose love did she fuck up? But it's true for him. Obviously he knows. Yeah. She's fucked up Nick. And, or, so that's what Lawrence is implying. And not just Nick, I think. Yeah. Her friends. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Even Hannah though. Right. Maybe even himself. Right. I mean, they haven't been connecting, you know, they haven't been able to. So mm-hmm. maybe he's thinking about himself. True. I loved uh, Twello's face when, when Lawrence said, well, hello, Canada. So he's like, shit, I'm busted. It's <laughs> 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 not yeah. just that I'm here. <laughs> um, and another quick note I had, or like what, what I um, realized when, as soon as June mentions she loves Hannah or Hannah is love, and like the word love comes up, like something in Lawrence changed, I think. Like he he came more pensive yeah. and it, it was very harder for him to shut her down because I think he was like really, really thinking about Eleanor at that time and yeah. how hard it is to let go. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. And that's why he's saying again, like, please move on. The same thing he told Nick and even mm. though he knows it's not possible to move on from right. love. It's right. not like something that is in your control. I also thought back to when he told her that Gilead never thought about the whole angle of motherhood when they came up with this, as far as like the power of a mother's bond to her child. He was kind of being like cold. And then as soon as she said, we love her and sounded so sad, he's like, oh shit. Like mm-hmm. that mama bear instinct is not getting cut out anytime soon. Well, and it's some, it's a feeling that he knows, he knows love because he yeah. loved his wife. So yeah. she, she could, he could relate. He's like, okay, yeah, that's the Trump card there. Love. Then Janine's scrubbing the floor in an old basketball court turned cafeteria. When they bring Esther in, they're giving her shit for all the trouble she's caused, telling her she has to atone for it. And Janine hasn't seen yet who it is. So Lydia pulls Esther's head up so that Janine can see her. And she is shocked. 
turns out Esther hasn't been eating. Lydia is willing to blame it on June, but tells her she must cleanse herself of the corrupting influences. And Esther delightfully makes it look like she's listening and moved by Lydia's talk until she shoves her food off the table. Janine looks up worried though as they haul Esther out and Lydia suggests Janine clean up Esther's little accident. I felt like it was a parallel to like how we've seen June in the red center. Like June had to scrub the floors and June was sitting at the table when she first was pregnant, like refusing to eat. So I felt like yeah. it was like referencing mm-hmm. that. Oh, that's cute. I always thought it reminded me of Janine and how she was when she first got there was so defiant. Mm. And yeah. That changed Both. pretty quick when they took her. Right. Do so you think it was on purpose that Janine was scrubbing the floor and they brought her in? Like <laughs> that, so that they like, I don't know, was it for Janine to see Esther that she's okay, maybe? Or like, oh, okay, this girl is not eating. Maybe we know that Janine is like a little softer um, yeah. than others. And she knows they know each other. From the yeah, they farm. spent time together. Yeah, they mm-hmm. know each other. So they, they they could like benefit from this meeting somehow. For sure. And also right. like in the, the talk on Lydia had with Esther, I thought she was trying a new approach to getting her to eat at this point. Like she's not like super forcing her into doing it, but like kind of going the other way around, like putting all the blame and responsibility on June and not uh-huh. on Esther. So like kind of a softer approach, not like mm-hmm. like the shame circles or like, yeah, hey, you need to eat or we will force you or something like this. You know? Right. Right. That's Lydia's progress in this episode. Mm-hmm. That yeah. conversation mm-hmm. that she had with Lawrence, he kind of steered her to like choose the more compassionate route, like to be yeah. a little softer and kinder. You know, she didn't like when he suggested that she's basically a sadist devil, you know, <laughs> like you're a sadist, <laughs> you're just evil. And she's like, no, I'm not. So she's trying to progress into someone a little Less. bit more compassionate. Yeah. Yeah. Then Serena's opening baby gifts from a teal bag. They got another maple leafs jersey, it looks like. Um, Fred's yeah. in there with her <laughs> and he opens a tiny commander uniform. Oh, it's so gross. <laughs> Serena's feeling pretty depressed about her baby shower. LOL. It's not what she imagined. I know. And Fred tries to cheer her up by showing her a card, calling them beacons of hope. And she asks him if she's allowed to read now. Am I allowed now, now that nobody's watching? And he admits mistakes were made and he wishes he could start over, which is bullshit. But well, we can't, Fred. Here we are. And Fred says, God has a plan for us and tells her to carry on, raise their boys, spread the Lord's word. The world should hear your voice again. Write a book. And it pisses me off so much that a few months ago, he cut her finger off for reading a book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's just trying to manipulate her again, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. She, she clearly says, we can't start over. And you can see how, I mean, that's what they do. They manipulate each other. But you can see how he's just trying to use the same, probably, techniques that he used before. Like, even though they both still believe in Gilead, because in the conversation, you can you can tell like, oh, look, we are beacons of hope. We can maybe do things quote unquote differently. But in the conversation, you know that they're still going to do the same thing. And he offers her like, oh, maybe you can write a book. So maybe I can use your voice because he knows she's a powerful one. So it's just like a fucked up cycle between them. I thought that the transition to this scene was kind of interesting because um, it closes with Aunt Lydia saying, God loves us for our labors. And then we get like um, this tiny speech of Fred when he's like, oh, we, we, earned this pregnancy through our labors kind of because we were doing god's well work here yeah and i thought it was like kind of a scene pair here different kind of labors mm-hmm. that handmade do god's work through 
yeah, bearing children, kind of. Yeah. And they did God's work through, well, they're creating Gilead. At least that's what they think. <laughs> right. What they tell themselves. Yeah. Then the aunts are at the Last Supper. Lydia is in the position of Jesus. Aunt Elizabeth is fulfilling the role of John. And mm -hmm. Aunt Ruth is doubting Thomas. I was like thinking because sometimes they do the positions with the heads and sometimes they do it with the bodies. So for Ruth, I had not Thomas, but James the Greater. Ah, okay. Yeah, but interesting, interesting that we don't have a known aunt in the position of Judas. Judas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. I liked I noticed so, that too. Because huh. I was like really paying attention to that. I was like, okay, who's Judas? And I was like, mm, don't know her. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe next season we'll Not know yet. her. Maybe yeah. we'll learn. yet. But I really like that this this last supper like setting, also this medieval music that plays mm -hmm. in the background. Yeah. It's a cool scene. I like it too. I like how it looks. The religious Im imagery is very strong in this episode. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. And they're discussing Esther. Lydia wants them to be patient, but Elizabeth and Ruth want to discipline her harshly. When Elizabeth suggests removing her tongue, Janine gasps and Lydia notices and excuses her. And they discuss Janine. Aunt Elizabeth tells Lydia she can't keep her here in the Red Center forever. And Ruth doubts that any family would want her, but Aunt Lydia defends the hell out of her, which is nice. She's done so much for the district. She's brought two children to the district. So I guess that's counting her, Caleb, her stolen child. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They point out that Lydia is giving her special treatment and Lydia gets pissed and calls the chicken dry. <laughs> um, it's interesting how quickly Ruth has forgiven her cattle prodding also. Later that night, Janine brings tea to Lydia and sees her looking at her handmade folder next to a folder for a commander and his wife. And Lydia sees her see that. Tells her she'll be all right. I'll take care of you. And Janine works up the nerve to say something about Mrs. Keys, Esther. She's not as tough as she seems. She's just acting that way because she's scared. And that's probably how, you know, Janine was feeling when she first got to the Red Center. And then she tells her she was abused, not just by her husband, but by a lot of men. And I just think you should know that. Lydia says, I see. But I don't think she knew that. I don't think she did. I don't think yeah. so. Yeah. And Janine indirectly suggests that she be told what happens when you don't obey before they actually remove her tongue or what a, whatever they're going to do. Just she's talking about what Lydia did to her without any warning, cutting out her eye. And Lydia promises to put Esther's correction on hold and suggests Janine bring her breakfast tomorrow and they could have a little chat. She looks on affected as Janine walks out. I think Lydia was affected by hearing that Esther was abused by lots of men because as mm -hmm. much as she's crazy, like she, you know, she's hardcore. Like she does, she is protective of these girls and doesn't want them abused. Like she wants them to do their job where they're supposed to bear children and not actually be harmed all the time. Right. I also think that's also kind of a confirmation though of the speech she, she had. Like, I think it was episode... Four or five. I was thinking five, the same thing. Yeah. yeah. When she would talk about no, none of these wicked men will ever hurt you again. It's like, and she gets another confirmation. Okay. Like most of those guys, commanders, whatever, they are not good men. Right. And so I'm wondering, is she, how is she even finding a good household for either Janine or Esther? Because is there something like this in Gilead? I think that's what prompts also the change that we've been seeing in her mindset mm -hmm. in this season, you know, because she started, she believes in Gilead and she, like Ginger says, you know, she loves these girls in some fucked up way. So she's not agreeing with what the commanders are doing. So she's in this, I think season four was her trying to figure out what she was going to do. But right now she, she really, she still has to obey the rules. And you can see in this episode how 
you know, the other aunts are pointing out that she's having preferential treatment. That's kind of seen as a weakness too. They can use that against her. So she has to be very careful. But I was wondering if you guys thought about Janine's approach. Do you guys think she generally cares about Aunt Lydia, like that kind of weird relationship? Or is she manipulating her? Is that a combination of both? I think it's both. A little both, bit of both, both. Mm-hmm. but I think she does genuinely like her just like how yeah. Lydia likes Janine in her like twisted way. It's the same yeah. for Janine back to Lydia. Yeah, I think they love each other. Definitely a Stockholm syndrome thing. Yeah. Yeah. Lydia has abused the heck out of Janine, but she's also, you know, kind of favorited her and shown her odd kindness and compassion. So Janine knows how to play her. So she's not as hard on her anymore. So they've developed a bond. She doesn't have anyone else though now. Like to me, like it's sad. I mean, truly all of her handmade BFFs are gone. And she's left with her abusive mother, Lydia. That's 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 it really. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think she also sees that like, at least even though she's abusive, at least she does love me. So it's something. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So sad. June, looking through Luke's files, finds a picture of Hannah. She tucked into Holly's blankets when she gave her to Emily. And Luke walks in and we have a very interesting scene. Luke sits down and we start dancing around the elephant in the room. Luke suggests there's someone else I think could help, Nick. And June looks up at him, doesn't speak. And as he continues, he knew that she'd gone back to the McKenzie's. So he might know where she is or could find out. And June can hardly form a sentence. And she says, yeah, I mean, maybe, I don't know. Mostly looking to the side, not at Luke. And then he starts with, he's a commander now, big man. He's got access. So we should probably ask him before that changes, you know? And then June looks at him trying to interpret this probably. And then she says, okay, yeah, maybe Tuello could set up a call. And Luke zeroes in a little closer to the elephant in the room. What he's not asking is the current romantic situation between Nick and June. But what he does ask is, so do you think Nick would help? And June answers both the voiced and unvoiced question with, I think he would do anything for me and for Nicole. Yeah. Then it gets weirder. Luke says, I don't think you should call with people listening and stuff. You should meet him in person somewhere safe. And she's like, you want me to meet up with Nick? (laughs) Awkward laugh. No, no, I don't want you to meet with Nick. But you said he'd do anything for you. So this is our best chance to get Hannah. And so I think you should take Nicole with you. How's he going to say no to you if you bring him his daughter? And June's like, whoa, dude, is this really happening? But she keeps her shit together. Tears in her eyes and says, I think we have to try everything for Hannah. And Luke says for Hannah, as if maybe that's not the whole reason June's on board. Awkwardly scratches his neck, um, gets up, saying a lot of goods. Good, good, good. And kisses her head on his way out. And then after he leaves, June finally lets out a huge breath she's been holding. And the tears out of her eyes. Something she thought could never happen again ever has just been offered to her by her husband. Crazy. But why do you think Luke said he can't say no to you if you bring his daughter after she'd already told him he'd do anything for her? Because I think Luke is the kind of guy that would need some sort of incentive to help. Yeah. I think in his mind, he if somebody came to him asking for help, he'd be like, oh, you brought me my daughter. Okay, now let me help you. He thought Nick would need some sort of incentive, which as we'll see, you know, he did not, um, you know, he just wants to kind of do the right thing by his loved ones. That's why right. I think he's it. I think he also massively underestimates Nick because he doesn't mm-hmm. know him at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's thinking like, oh, they're separated and June's with her husband. So like he would need to be bribed to help at this point because Hannah's not his daughter. And, you know, I, I think because he doesn't know anything about their relationship or about who he is. He just doesn't know Nick. Yeah. He just is making a lot of assumptions. I I think he's trying to also score points with him. Like, okay, I'm allowing my wife to take who he, you know, Luke does say our daughter, my daughter, to see his daughter. 
like I let this happen. So now he will maybe work for me and get me more info on my daughter since I allowed him to see his daughter. You know, it's like a trade. But I also think the use of my daughter versus our daughter is interesting because two episodes ago, he called her our daughter. But now suddenly she's his his daughter. daughter. Yeah. Yeah. When she can be used as a tool in that way. Mm -hmm. I also think he's a little bit in denial. You know, like you guys were talking about, he doesn't, he doesn't know the extent. All he has is the tape. And I do believe that this forefront, you know, the first layer of it is he wants information about Hannah. But like Kate said, you know, the elephant in the room that's called Nick is still there, present Mm -hmm. in his mind. And I understand that he wants to know, maybe he thinks that's why his wife can't connect with him. I think maybe that's on her, on the back of her mind. I'm pretty sure he's there, but I don't think that's why she can't connect with Luke. Like the main thing, I think there's so much things going on right Mm -hmm. now in her life. And I do think, yes, she does think about Nick, but in this conversation, he's like, she put him in a box because there's like, that was it. She was never going to see him again. And he opened that box up. Mm -hmm. She's compartmentalizing him. Like exactly just for her own self-preservation. So what bothered me about this scene is I do understand that he wants to know this is a conversation. I think we've said this, that they have to have, but this isn't the time to have it. And it just made me feel that it was yes about Hannah, but it was also about his ego Mm -hmm. that he needed in that moment to know what was going on. And yes, you do have to know what's going on, but she's been there what a month a few weeks like it's not the time to talk about like male competition that's the way that I saw it and he also does the slight jab you know like oh he's a commander now he can get access remember where he stands so he's Mm -hmm. making that division like remember like who he is and where you're like what he represents and I think that's why June chose the words that she chose because she was she was really guarded about her feelings and about not hurting him but I think that the words that she used is like I think he'll do anything for me and for Nicole work just, and you can tell that Luke realized that fuck, yeah. I guess this isn't what I thought it was. Right. Because the whole conversation, she kept looking away and sounded very meek. And then as soon as she said that to him, she made eye contact and did not break it for the rest of the conversation, because I think she was mad mm-hmm. that he called Nick the commander and the big man mm-hmm. for now. I think that really upset her. Well, yeah. So- she, she implied uh, he's implying that he could be on the wall soon. So we got to take advantage of him. And that's horrible for June to hear about somebody she loves. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. well, he's a big man. Honestly, they're going to probably figure him out sooner or later. And he's going to end up on the wall. So we got to use him while we can. I mean, that is hurtful. And June does not want to use him. Right. And she really, really doesn't like the implication. I think that Luke's making of we should use him because she knows Mm -hmm. how dangerous it is for him to get information on Hannah. And she doesn't right. want to put him in danger. Right. Well, she had she hadn't even considered him when they said, like, maybe we should get we should talk to somebody, mm-hmm. you know, in Gilead. Like Nick did not cross her mind to, for her to ask him for any information. Like she wasn't going to do that at all. Yeah, she she suggested Lawrence. Nick was not on her mind at all. And she even said, I don't know when Luke was like first suggesting it. She's like, uh, because she was obviously shocked and caught off guard that he suggested it. But then. She was trying to figure out what to say and then was like, I don't know, almost like this is too dangerous or too everything, too dangerous, too awkward, too whatever. So I think that was kind of her wanting to protect him, but not selling Luke. Sorry, Luke, I don't want to get the man that I love hurt. Yeah, she definitely was trying to protect him, just keeping him to herself. What do you think about Luke knowing that 
Nick is even a commander like now because when she told Luke that Nick got information on her, like that he told her that Hannah is at home again, um, she's not mentioning he's a commander, obviously. And she, in her testimony, she's also not saying that Nick's a commander now. She says, yeah, Mr. Blaine was the driver. Um, so I was wondering, how did he even know that he's a commander now? I'm like, sure Tuello probably because they talk. I thought I thought that yeah. as well that maybe Tuello because he had him on his board um, at the end of episode seven. So Tuello is definitely looking for allies, I guess, for people who give him more intel. Mm-hmm. I think like maybe Luke and Tuello had a talk. or maybe okay, it was the Florence. Yeah. It didn't work out, but um, I mean, June told me that Nick had information, and maybe then Tuello said, "Oh yeah." Uh, Mr. Blaine is a commander now, so you should yeah. try that. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, that, that makes sense. Because I don't think like when she was telling her everything that happened with Hannah, yeah. he, June would tell him, oh, and Nick captured me. <laughs> and <turned> me in. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Like, yeah, well, no, that's a good that's a good point. Yeah. And for Luke to suggest they go meet in person, he would have had to have known it was even possible to do it. Because why else would he have suggested if mm-hmm. he didn't know it was a possibility? Yeah. So that's a really good point. Right. But I wonder if Luke went to Tuello then. Yeah. Like already. He's done it before. Yeah. Then Serena gets a very exciting surprise visit from Naomi Putnam. We love Ever Carradine so much. Kimberly says I say that too much. So now I'm going to keep saying it too much. <laughs> um, but I do love Ever. Naomi's guardian comes in first and Serena is looking at him like puzzled and maybe a bit scared. And you hear Naomi's heels clicking down the hallway to add to that. And Serena is clearly surprised as she gets up to greet her and hug her. And I'm delighted by the fact that Serena's been caught in her slippers, unlike her visit with Rita. Naomi tells her Warren's here to see Fred, too, and comments on the light and airy prison cell. I agree, Naomi. It's weird. And one of my favorite lines when Serena asks about Angela, aka Charlotte, she's my joy running around learning so many words. There's a bit of an issue with biting, but maybe that's genetic. <laughs> I laugh so hard. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Then there's this funny moment where Naomi sees Serena's writing pad. And I think Serena's look is kind of gloating a bit. Yep, I can write now, bitch. And then mm-hmm. Naomi gives Serena a bunch of hand-knit shit from everyone back in Gilead. And when Serena says she doesn't know how everybody would feel about her after her actions concerning Fred, Naomi swallows hard and then says, if the good Lord has blessed you with this child, then who am I to judge? So she's very annoyed with her pregnancy. And she hits her with the real reason for a visit or at least a passive aggressive verbal attack. If this ordeal isn't over when you have the baby, we'd be happy to take him out. And Serena finally understands the point of this visit and tells her, Fred may not be, but I'll be free once the proceedings are over and I'll have a fresh start with our son. And then Naomi tells her that baby belongs in Gilead. You both do. And Serena says the commanders won't feel the same way. And Naomi says, oh, nonsense. You'll return as your own child, a hero. But I think Serena's right. Mm-hmm. When you said the thing about loving ever at the very beginning of the scene, she like waves away the guards too. <laughs> loved that little. I was like, oh my god, I love Naomi. She's so funny. Like she's yeah. amazing. She's like puttering around. She's a great character. Yeah, it was. I was laughing at how she's just like making herself right at home. Yeah, um, she's so good. <laughs> Then we get to see the male version of this aggression. Warren has brought Fred a case of cigars, the stereotypical dad gift for babies. And Putnam tells him how they so respect and admire how he's weathered this crisis. You've stayed loyal to Gilead, true to God's word. And Fred says he's felt God's support the way he'd hoped to feel his fellow commander's support. Warren uh, acknowledges the underlying message, apologizes, and we should have reached out sooner. Fred says, out of sight, out of mind. 
And he says, not at all. Angel's flight has taken up all, all resources. And then he says he pressed to retaliate, but old war horses like us didn't put out to pasture, which is funny because Calhoun is usually the trigger hungriest of them all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Fred points out his pasture is rather small and fenced in. Has there been any negotiation on our behalf? And Warren innocently says, such as? And Fred gets angry. A prisoner exchange, a negotiation. And Warren's like, well, if we negotiate, I would just encourage more commander kidnappings. And... I love the writing in this show because they include so many relevant situations and lines to real life, none more so than Warren's response. We will continue to send you our thoughts and prayers. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. That was was beautiful. Like, who hasn't been infuriated by that line 5,000 times in the recent years? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, your four-year-old child was killed at school? We're sending our thoughts and prayers. That'll help. Back to the show, though. This is my favorite Fred expression ever. Joseph Fiennes, like, amazing in this role. And by all accounts, it took a lot out of him, too, as a father father of daughters Mm -hmm. and a good human so thank you joe but i love his reaction to him saying that we're not gonna help you i love this whole scene it's like Uh it's like you only need some laughter and clapping in the background and it's a sitcom yeah (laughs) Yeah. it's like the whole conversation and i mean i'm laughing all through it and their gestures and so Because Putnam yeah. is a terrible actor. Not not the actor. I'm talking about Warren Putnam himself. Yeah. Is like trying so yeah. hard to fake like, oh, we care. And, you know, it's so obvious that he does not care. Like his face when he says such ass. <laughs> like, yeah, I think he's purposefully doing that, though. I do, too. I, I'm with you, Kate. I think he's I, I don't think he's acting. I think he knows exactly what he's doing. And he's right. like, we don't give. A shit about you. Yeah. Badly tell like explain to Fred, like, oh, we care, but we really don't. Yeah, it was so sarcastic. Like it was I think it was all intentional. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, who can we We love him as well? Thoughts and prayers. (laughs) Empty words. Yeah. I love the reality check they both got. Serena with Naomi Mm -hmm. and Fred with Warren. Like it's like, we don't give a shit. You are not a priority. Sorry. Thoughts and prayers. And it's like amazing to watch mm-hmm. well Fred's yeah. face I mean it was comical he looked so confused like what's going on here like he's so narcissistic I think he thinks everybody loves him and when he finds out they don't he's like he look, he has a look of shock on his face all the time because he just doesn't get it like dude it's people the hate you expression how do you yeah. not understand that <laughs> I'm also pretty sure that he might remember that he tried to save like his hand when Warren had that situation, you know, yeah. and mm-hmm. he was trying to vouch for him. Yeah. Um, and now they're obviously not vouching for Fred. So it's like, ooh. I also love the the way the camera is angled in the scene. Like it's shown from the bottom. Like it's trying to show that these are powerful men with inflated egos. Mm-hmm. And then like Fred mentions being fenced in while there's this huge giant fence behind him. Like showing, I think that he's trapped. I thought that was really cool. I like how the scene ends with Warren's like half smile to tell him the purpose of the, this whole visit was just to say "fuck you." Like it's a funny <laughs> smile. I like it a lot. It also kind of shows that um, no matter how big you are in Gilead, in the end you're just a small light. You know, nobody cares for each other. Doesn't even matter if you're on the council or whatever. You're right. just gonna be replaced, and they move on. They don't care. Yeah, it's yeah. about power. So everybody's mm-hmm. going to try to step on each other's necks so they can yeah. get their status. Really, you know? safe. Like, yes, let's get rid of Fred. Mm-hmm. Bump up. 
And then we're walking down a creepy as fuck hall with Janine and an aunt. Reminds me of the Halloween horror houses I like to go to. But when she gets into the room, we see Esther's been chained up in a basement and sad because she thinks Janine's come to save her, asks how she got past them. But Janine's actually there to convince her to eat. She says she knows what it's like to be hungry because of Chicago. And Esther's excited she made it to Chicago. Esther still doesn't get that Janine is here on behalf of the aunts because she asks how she snuck the food in. She tells Esther about Chicago and that it was actually quite scary. And she was actually kind of relieved when they picked her up and brought her back here. Then she gets to her point and tells Esther if she doesn't eat, there will be consequences. And Esther realizes the truth and spits her food out and yells at Janine. And then Janine gets very unjanine like and yells back at her. They're not going to let you die. They will keep hurting you again and again until you do what they say. That is their job. And Esther cries and Janine softens and says, you need to stay alive so you can be here when things get better and then leaves her and Esther's left in the dark scary basement alone thinking and Janine has just said we can go outside it's a pretty day if you eat um you know how Ginger pointed out earlier it was like early in episode two when June is in the gym having breakfast um this was almost another throwback to that because that's the same room June was brought to to see the um handmaid who had drunk the drain cleaner I think is what she did to try and kill her baby um Esther's in that same room so it was another um, cool parallel throwback to early season two I thought it was sad too when Janine said forget June she isn't here we're here you have to take care of yourself now like I, I think she was also kind of expressing her own feelings too in a way and I also thought like you know Esther looks up to June so much and I think maybe Janine was trying to give her like a reality check with that because Esther even seemed like pretty emboldened and started to eat once she heard they made it to Chicago and that excited her and Janine's trying to like tell her like look these people are brutal and they mean what they say and they're gonna cut your tongue out if you don't start listening like you can't be so stubborn right they're not just gonna kill you they're gonna torture you and keep you around if you don't comply you know you're just gonna get things ripped off you i'm surprised she didn't just say they're, they they were talking about cutting your tongue out because yeah. i feel like that would be pretty effective mm-hmm. i like how janine's kind of maneuvering things now like you can in this episode you can see like that difference and at first i was like is she just i don't know like i'm just whatever i'm just gonna as long as i'm not in service i'm just gonna flow just flow and be like her positive self but then when she says you have to get better for when things change that kind of gave me the idea that, you know, not only she's hopeful, but herself is trying to, in some way, make things change. So I thought that was interesting. That's also a throwback to 109, because June says that to Janine when she's standing on the bridge mm-hmm. about like needing to be here because things will change and get better. Right. The next scene opens with Holly and we see she's in the car getting ready to go see Nick. Uh, June's wearing a red coat, similar to what she was usually wearing with Nick. Luke comes out of the house with a diaper bag full of fresh fruities cut up and Tuello tells her the security detail will follow her, but give her privacy with Nick, but keep it brief. And the look on Luke's face when Tuello says they will (laughs) give them privacy is priceless. (laughs) I did not notice it until Helen pointed it out. And oh my God, it's... um, I get it. It's an absolutely heartbreaking situation for Luke, but it was his idea. And of course they're going to want to talk alone. But anyway, as June walks to the car, Luke is like practically on top of her wanting to mark his territory or something. I don't know, but it's bothering her. And finally she turns and says, don't worry. And he responds, I'm not going to be able to do that, which is fair. She nods and he kisses her, covers her hand with his and says, he'll be here when she gets back. It's just very, it's a lot. He's on top of her. But it's funny though, because I feel like she's, she's so excited, but she's trying to like, yeah, hide it. Hide it. Yeah. You know? 
But right. then I also thought about the fact that like her hair is curled and she's got yeah. a little bit of makeup yeah. on. Yeah. And I was wondering what Luke thought about that. Like she doesn't do that for me. Uh, no, no baggy sweaters. <laughs> <laughs> when she gets in the car, Luke sweetly and sadly waves goodbye to Holly. And then Ju- finally seems to relax as she gets farther from the house. She's clearly thinking of Nick and then she's smiling near tears and the music adds to it all. I just like when she's driving, how she's like, she looks so nervous, like a girl who's like mm-hmm. going to see the boy she likes. Like that's what I it know. felt like. And it was really sweet. Yeah. This is almost, I think, one of the first times she's gone to see him and it hasn't been a surprise. Mm-hmm. I think like, you know, when she was brought to him on the bridge, she didn't know where she was going. She knows she's going to see Nick. So she's got the anticipation is able to build and she is a little nervous. Like I noticed in the car, she was like fussing with her hair. You're right. Mm-hmm. She was very much like a girl going to see the boy she liked but a good yeah. nervous like yeah yeah excited she was excited yeah. and just like how you are when you're like just giddy in love you know what mm-hmm. I mean when you have that love where you just like you know get twitter painted she looked like twitter painted like all excited like <laughs> it was very I have never heard that word in my life me neither like, I love it. <laughs> that's from Bambi I don't watch Bambi. I watched Bambi once and that was enough. It's well, it's traumatizing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and now look at the show that you love. <laughs> like the Luke scene um, when he puts his hand on the window with Nicole. What is he expecting is going to happen there? Like that Nick just kidnaps Nicole or something? I don't think he was afraid. I think he was like realizing like you know, I love this child as my own, but this is also not my child. I am yeah. letting her go see her yeah. father. So it was very conflicting. He's like, you know, he buy my daughter. Wait, I'm right. You're to not, now you're your going father? to see your real your right. birth father. Yeah. I think it was just uh, his emotions were conflicted. He was like, oh, yeah. yeah. Then there's an aerial shot of them driving down some windy roads, which actually did remind me of my drive to Toronto from Philly. They look similar. And they pull up to this abandoned school. I find this aerial shot so funny because there's no other car there. How did Nick get there? <laughs> Someone joked online that his wife dropped him off. Um, and yeah, LOL. Uh, maybe she's cool like that. We don't know. And then June gets out. She puts Holly in an umbrella stroller. And how the hell she pushes that through the snow? I have no idea. But she does. <laughs> I wondered that. Those things are terrible. They're hard enough to push on like pavement. You can't even push them through grass. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. No. Uh, But she does. Like you see her do it. So maybe Nick shoveled a path for her. got there early maybe it's maybe it's uh hardly frozen so it gets it's gotta be hard yeah yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. i think that like was it was it um burton who said that Mm -hmm. this day was particularly cold Mm -hmm. max said that too yeah yeah Yeah. so also it's so interesting what burton said about the like snow footprints like he's got to touch up lizzie's makeup but he can't make new footprints mm-hmm. right like, yeah there's so mm-hmm. much crew there that yeah. can't make new footprints so they have to walk in like max and lizzie's footprints and it's so interesting i never thought of that you know yeah, yeah. the things you never think of the details that go into this i didn't even think about strollers in the snow so oh but scarlet it doesn't snow right no no i've never seen snow all I know is being a Minnesota girl, if that snow is compacted enough, you'll be able to get a stroller on it. <laughs> It'll become like icy concrete. You can just slide right. it right home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then June's looking around, unsure, uneasily, until she hears Nick. He comes out of the shadow doorway, as he's wont to do. 
and says June the soft way that he does. June. And her face is instantly at ease, joyful even. The most at peace she's looked since she got to Canada. It's notable here too that during the actual season four promos, they edited out the stroller from these shots. So as fans of Nick and June, we collectively lost our minds when we realized he was going to get to see Holly and June. Like it was insane joy. Good work, Bruce or Hulu or whomever. Yeah. They talk for a minute at a distance. Nick says, freedom agrees with you. I'm not so sure about that, actually, Nick. Not yet, anyway. And she asks how it's going down there in Gilead. When he says he's hanging in there, she makes a joke, as they often do. (laughs) Poor choice of words. And he does his little silent laugh, smile, nod thing. And it's very sweet, but still a little awkward when she thanks him for coming and he thanks her for inviting him. And then they close in and stoop down by the stroller. And he's so happy to see Holly. Says she's a whole different person. And he calls her Nicole for the first time, which irks me. I know it was ordered by Margaret Atwood that she be named Nicole. And there's relevant meaning behind that name. But I firmly believe that Nick and June should call her Holly between themselves. Me too. But back to the scene, she says they don't have long. So he suggests talking inside. So, you know, when they're first talking, it is incredibly awkward it reminded me a lot of the scene at the end of season two when they see each other for the first time after she's had the baby and it's really awkward between them because it's almost a situation like there's so much to say where do we start I know we don't know where to go so they start with their little jokes to you know get the ice broken it's just very them and I love it a lot and his face you know when he saw the stroller to me it was the same kind of awestruck look that he had when june told him she was pregnant like he Mm -hmm. can't believe Mm -hmm. you know in this case what he's seeing but but then it was what he was hearing you know in the best way possible it's like he's seeing a a unicorn or something that he never expected you know he's just so happy i just love the way he reacts and i feel like june wasn't apprehensive but nick was because i june june knows how she's feeling but nick is like okay She's gone back to her husband. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not in her life anymore. I don't know how she's going to react to me. You know, he has no idea if they've rekindled their romance. And that's what he expects. He expects her to be, you know, reunited with her husband and to move on. So he seems like he's he's very, not distanced, but giving her the space because he's he knows that's what he wanted for her kind of in, in a way, like, to go on with her life in freedom, go back with her husband. And so he's he's not sure how to react, but she looks so like, oh, like she wants to like run up to him and like hug him or something. But I think that's why he says, thanks for inviting me. Cause he's right. like, oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> You're still thinking about me. Yeah. I also think that when he says to, when he says to June, she's a completely different person. I thought that's one of the saddest lines because yeah, time has passed and I've missed so much. It's kind of like a subtle way to put those feelings in between the lines. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I also think like Tina has said, like, you know, they always have their banter. And every time she said her terrible jokes, he laughs and smiles, which we rarely see from him. And when she made her joke this time, he could barely smile. And I think they're just showing here, like, he's not okay. Like, he's not doing okay without them. And Mm -hmm. he's realizing, like, how much he's missing with both of them being away from him. But I also, like, when they show the three of them there, like, when he's going to kneel down in front of the Mm -hmm. stroller and the light is shining on them, like, heaven is so beautiful. Lizzie even said that was, like, it just happened and they were like really excited about it. So super lucky. Yeah. <laughs> Inside June says, I'm sure you're curious what this is about. I don't want to put you in any danger, but if there's anything you could find out about Hannah, 
And he interrupts her and says, I've been doing that for you ever since you made it to Canada. I just never thought I'd give it to you in person. So it's important to note here that he never thought he was ever going to see her again. Mm-hmm. And yet he was still yeah. risking his life to get her yeah. information on Hannah. I really hate when people call Nick selfish because he's like yeah. so yeah. incredibly selfless. That's why I love him. And he's done so many selfless things for her. But she looks through the folders. He's given her Hannah's school information, even pictures. And she's so moved. Also, he says that he got this information from friendlies, which does imply that he's working with the resistance. She's crying as she says, you did all this for me. And finally, he sits next to her and says, I should have run away with you when I had the chance. And she agrees. They probably should have gone to Hawaii, that beach in Hawaii. And she looks at his lips and then he goes in for the kiss. They love each other so much. It's so sad and sweet and lovely and heartbreaking. And they pull apart eventually, but they keep their faces together for a few moments, as usual, until Holly reminds them she's there. And June picks her up. Nick asks if she wants to come say hi. And by the way, I now say that to every animal that I want to pet. but holly says now and june tells him she's stubborn nick says i'm not surprised and they laugh and then june says how dare you and it's all a callback to not only the boston globe when he yelled at her she's so fucking stubborn but also every Mm -hmm. action she's ever taken probably Mm -hmm. it's just very sweet but i love how at the boston globe he was like mad that she was being stubborn and now it's like he's he's proud that not only is she stubborn but so is their daughter yeah Mm -hmm. yeah he loves it it's also sweet and this is such a beautiful scene uh nick remembers he got her something then and he goes and gets a very gilead-esque doll out of his briefcase so shopping options are limited in gilead there's so many little jokes um between them in such a short scene yeah uh they leave the interior scene with a beautiful long shot of the three of them being a family in the window i honestly don't think that he expected i think we touched on it for Holly to be there. So obviously when, like Tina mentioned, when he reacts, he's completely in awe that his daughter is there. And the fact that he went out of his way, got a dog. I just think that it's just a way to show that even though he cannot be with his daughter, his daughter is always present in his mind. And they were joking, you know, he, this is the first time, like when I saw this episode, the first time I was like, who is this Nick? This is like chatty Nick. It's a yeah. completely different person. Yes. Totally. It's Nick without his mask, pretty much. Yeah. That's what yes. he would be mm-hmm. with like outside of Gilead. Mm-hmm. But when he gets the doll and he leans down and it's where I, like my heart breaks, mm-hmm. he says, he whispers, I'm just hoping she can keep this with her. He's not asking June, please tell her about me. That's her decision. And I think he knows that June will tell her about him. But again, he knows he's not going to see her grow up. And it's very important to him that she at least has something that's his. Mm-hmm. It's sweet mm-hmm. how she, he looks at her too, like when he says that, mm-hmm. you know? like Yeah. Your point to him being more chatty and animated, you know, he's saying sentences with more than four words than them. He's comfortable. He's relaxed. But mm-hmm. so is June. These are two people that are being their best, most authentic selves in the presence of one another. Mm-hmm. Right. They bring out the best in each other. And I, that's, I really love that about this scene. They are happy. They are free. And it's because they're with each other. It's beautiful. I just love it. June has been so opposite of that in Canada. She's angry. She's broken. She's has no confidence. And then as soon as she's with Nick, it's like all that goes away. And she, she has that confidence back that she always had. And like after all this time, they haven't seen each other in so long. Like didn't she didn't, I don't, th- they truly don't think they ever thought they'd see each other. She gets here and he's still exactly how, as he is. He still loves her for exactly who she is, who she's not like the person she is turning out to be. 
He has zero judgment, zero expectations. And I think that's just like shocking, even for the both of them, really, that no matter what, like we have, we're literally separated by countries now and we're still to like can see each other and we still have that love and it almost feels even stronger. So mm-hmm. it's it just like, it's just moving. This whole scene is so moving to me. I just wanted to say, I, I think he did know that the, that he was going to see his daughter too, personally, but I would love to have seen that phone call and how excited yeah. Yeah. and shocked he would be. Totally. Uh, I wanted to say that June's reaction about the, the research Luke put into Hannah and Nick put into, into yeah. it is, well, obviously very, very different. Mm-hmm. That she's way more emotional with Nick, but it's a totally different situation. Because, I mean, Hannah is Luke's daughter. So it's kind of... I, I would expect that from my husband at least mm-hmm. to do something to find our daughter also it's actual information it's success nick succeeded at getting mm-hmm. her new information yeah. well and it's risking his life he risked his life yeah, for luke, that luke has no risks mm-hmm. to go to the embassy and um talk to people whereas nick literally needed to took photos from like I, I can't imagine those people with with their tiny small spy cameras like taking yeah. pictures from bushes for for him. So obviously it's 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 warranted that she's way more moved um, by Nick's research. Also because he did it without even being asked. She they met because she wanted to ask him to do that, and he already done it, and he brought her so much. I think that parallels to 403 because when she starts asking about, you know, wanted to see if there was something you can find out about Hannah, like he's like, yeah, I know. Like they know each other. He knows that's pretty much what she wanted, but he was already on it. But like Julia says, it is a risk, you know, like, yeah, he's using friendlies. These are people that he trusts. Mm -hmm. He trusts them. But if these people get caught, they can use that information because why would he be taking pictures of such a powerful commander's daughters? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when he says getting her out is impossible, because people mm-hmm. always like, okay, so like getting one kid is impossible versus kid getting 86. There's guardians everywhere because that's yeah. June's daughter. And yeah. June is the one that did Angel's flight. So right. that's what mm-hmm. that means. You know, it's not like a smoke screen. Also, she's some on the other side of the country. I mean, he's in Boston now and she's in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Right. The middle of the country. Like, it's hard to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not near a border. Like, they no, put her really it's good. also yeah. out of reach for his commander. Yeah. Right. Reach but I think I all. think that goes, though, to show they're trying to show us how powerful he is within, like, the resistance or yes. Mayday. Because he that's pretty far reach that he has, that he can just have people risk themselves to take those pictures mm-hmm. nick has connections and maybe more than she even realized and mm-hmm. we would, I, I really hope they explore more of that in season five yeah it would be nice to make it clear yeah yeah what's the business yeah. this whole time he's very humble he's not bragging like look what i did he's just giving her information he's humble about it i disagree i think he's i think he has a little swagger at first yeah when, he, me too. when she's excited think, yeah yeah he was proud to give her that phone yeah yeah i think he's I just think happy so. because she's so happy about it yeah like, yeah that- yeah especially like when when we think back of like to season three when she when she asked him what are you good for and he's so taken aback and so ashamed that he cannot do anything at that right. point and then he's going to the front and maybe die and now he actually could do something and bring he her something so, yeah. 
Yeah. I think it was totally warranted that he was proud of himself that he actually yeah. could help. At, like, and I thought that time. was sweet. He allowed himself that moment because he doesn't normally. Like, no. you know? Well, he yeah. he did that in episode nine in season two when right. he brought back the Luke information. Like, again, it's more exactly. mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he has something he can deliver to her to bring her happiness. That's his goal. Right. right. That's what made him happy. And mm-hmm. I think that's why, like, when she says to him, you did all this for me. And I remember people asking, like, why did she ask him that? And I was thinking, to me, I don't think she was even asking that question. I think it was a statement, like, mm-hmm. you did all this for me. Yeah. She came in there with no expectations because she she told him, like, I don't, you know, I was wondering if you could get information on Hannah. I don't want to put you in harm's way, which I love that because I felt like she was kind of being meek, which is not how she is with him. And I did love how he kind of like shut that down immediately and was like, here you go. I did this. You know, here's the information mm-hmm. that you wanted. He actually tells her and I'm here to do what I can. So I thought mm-hmm. that was that was important. Like, it means he's not going to stop. It's not yeah. going to stop helping her find him. This is such a bittersweet scene. Like, it's so mm-hmm. happy. But the heartbreak, though, mm-hmm. like both of them knowing like this is what it could be like. And, you know, like the fact that she brings up we should or he says I should have ran away with you and I had the chance. And then she brings up like, yeah, we should have gone to Hawaii. So he knows she's with her husband, but yet she's telling him like, clearly, I wish I ran away with you. So like, it's still there between us. And then like, after they kiss, he's so broken. Like he can't even look at her. He can't open his eyes. He keeps sighing. And I also love that she kissed him on the head. Like she did on the bridge. Mm -hmm. I do think she realized that he's struggling because you know, he, he does like sniff and like wipe mm-hmm, his face when mm-hmm. she goes to get Holly. He's putting on a happy face in front of her. Like when they do their banter and they call, you know, she says she's stubborn and his heart eyes are like, you know, hearts are shooting everywhere when he's looking at her. But then as soon as she turns her back, he's so like, he drops that happiness for a minute because he's just so sad that like he can't have them in his life. It's so sad. It's so sad. I feel so bad for those for both, like for Luke and for Nick, that they cannot be with their daughters. Especially because I wrote an 80-page thesis on fatherly participation and child raising. And so it disgusts me if they they really want to do their part and see their kids grow up and they just can't because can't. of this awful circumstances. And ugh. That image at the very end of the scene of them existing as, you know, just a family in that window. Yeah, in the window. Mm-hmm. Almost like it's a glimpse like a window looking into what they could be yeah and you know everything is good and for a moment you know nothing matters for any of them except what's going on in that room and that the song that they chose to play that on the nature of daylight is beautiful and perfect and that was an amazing choice by lizzie i think lizzie yeah it was literally the best choice ever such an amazing seared into my soul at this point Mm -hmm. yeah i also love though that it reminds me of the portrait of that nick had to hang for fred i wanted to say the same yeah yeah and it's like but it's like this is what the real family portrait is well it just symbolizes that they are a family i mean when even the nursery scene we were supposed to see them as a unit. They are mm-hmm. a family unit. Bruce Miller said in an interview too, like he made a point of this. They are a family. That is not mm-hmm. like right. a baby daddy. And I forget the actual phrasing, but he made a point that that is what that scene is supposed to show you. They are a family unit. That is a family. And I mm-hmm. like that. And I appreciate him saying that. Me too. I think it's amazing too, what they did with light in this scene. Like when they first get 
into the room, like Nick goes to that one window, which is very dark. And June is standing in the other window, which is very light. And then Nick and her are kind of like facing away from each or like facing each other. And he's still in the dark side and she is on the light side. And then once she makes it like when she looks up at him and says, you did all this for me, it's like he felt invited to like come into her space and he joins her in the light side. And then they have their beautiful moment. And I just think that's incredible. And I, I, I'm so grateful that Lizzie directed this episode because I think she is the absolute perfect person to get like all those nuances and everything and I just it's phenomenal to me like what they've done in this episode with just everything symbolism light the religious stuff like everything beautiful episode yeah um but outside they're doing their trademark forehead touch and Nick can't even open his eyes he's so sad he's also got his hands in his pocket which is notable because usually he's always touching her whenever he can like a very tactile person but it's either Max being extremely cold here or (laughs) Nick being too sad (laughs) one or the other I think he couldn't have let her go when he held her yeah right and as she walks away he calls after her and she turns and he says try and be happy and she smiles and laughs and looks to the side and says yeah you too and clearly meaning that it's that's a funny joke how could she be happy without him how am i supposed to do that come on (laughs) yeah and she gets in the car upset and as she pulls away he pulls a wedding ring out of his pocket and puts it back on that was mean, Bruce. Very, very mean of you. <laughs> uh, that was heartbreaking. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Above him is this enormous painting. Um, so I started researching to see what painting that was, and I discovered that this is a this is all in Italian. So Julia is probably going to correct me because I'm going to butcher it. Um, the painting is by Giotto de Bondone, and it's called Noli Metangere, which means "Touch Me Not." And um, it's a series of frescoes in the Arena Chapel in in Italy. And what was curious to me was obviously we can see that the picture is of Mary Magdalene and Jesus right after his resurrection. Mm -hmm. And um, we're in the Mary Magdalene school. So obviously Mary Magdalene is a very strong symbolism. We also heard about the Magdalene colonies. Mm -hmm. And Mary Magdalene, you know, it's believed that she's an unwoman, a prostitute a fallen woman, but some people believe that she was uh, Jesus' favorite apostle and some believe that she was his wife. So they think it's very curious that that's who they're using to kind of symbolize June. But when I was reading the meaning of the painting, the painting depicts the in-between status of Christ of no longer of this world, but not yet of the next one because he's, he's just resurrected. And I thought that was interesting because that's basically what we see in Nick. He is stuck in these two worlds, you know, like Ginger was saying, Nick's always walking towards June's light. And in this episode, you can see him in that dark window and there's the crucifix. And usually the crucifix symbolizes Jesus and Jesus symbolizes sacrifice. And that's what you see, like all the sacrifices that he's been doing. So I was really interested to like, why did they use this painting? And then, oh, maybe the painting was already there in the school, but it wasn't. I was looking through Elizabeth Williams, which is a production designer Instagram, and she did a few BTS shots and there's a replica of the painting. So it was mm-hmm. interesting that they chose this one. Maybe not for what I think they chose it. You know, I just like that parallel, but they had to choose it for a reason. Yeah, my note was similar, just that it's basically what we hope for Nick. He's in between worlds and not yet able to fully defect Gilead, but also by no means loyal to Gilead. Hopefully the next time we see them together, it will be in front of a picture of the fully risen Jesus. <laughs> and obviously Mary Magdalene's in red like June. So, But yeah, that's got to be intentional. And then as far as the ring, I know so many people were upset, like, oh, he lied to her. And- yeah. 
obviously like they, they yeah. had a few minutes together like and th- this is they're at one time to be happy and free together and obviously June had a purpose to see him like you know with Hannah so he's not going to ruin this moment of bringing her this beautiful information on her daughter by saying oh by the way I'm married you know and also why about make them. why make it about him like that's not the exactly. point here why yeah as you said why ruin this moment why bring that his problem up that he has now right the moment is about them it's their family yeah. unit he's uh she's not going to be talking about luke and he's not going to be talking about his obligations there in gilead mm-hmm. you know and when you talk about obligations i mean we don't know anything about his household like who's his wife and that's yeah. that's thoughts that probably june would have as well and which obviously would also invoke her trauma again, I think. Right. I think she also probably in the back of her mind knows that he will be married or is married mm-hmm. and, and just it's a non-issue. It's going to be a non-issue for but her. She knows how Gilead works. Right. They're assigned wives. June knows eventually if he's not already, he will be. That, mm-hmm. They don't need to talk about it. But it's nice because you see that he's still so in love with her, even though he's married, yeah, right? So that's right. a lot of information they're actually giving yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then as June drives away, you see 5,000 emotions cross Lizzie's face. She's amazing. Happiness, sadness, heartbreak, joy, love. Oh, she's so amazing. But she's also so in love with Nick, June. And it's just re- really hard for her to leave him. Lizzie said in an interview that sh- she just wants to turn around and jump out of the car. She's in love with Nick. She wants to be with Nick. And it's pretty evident. Yeah. And there was one of those cuts in uh, that I noticed last time I was watching where she actually looks back. Mm-hmm. Like she you knows she drives, but she looks back, I think almost like she wants to to go back and get him and be go with back. Him. Yeah. yeah. Then we get to see a totally different kind of couple. Serena and Fred in a chapel, like a little jail chapel. Nice contrast from the true love that we just left. Serena and Fred are sitting across an aisle from each other discussing the fact that Gilead is basically against them now. Serena says they'll take her baby and send her to the colonies. They can make her a handmaid only. And they come to the conclusion that they have to work together and turn on Gilead. And there's a very cool shot from the front of the little chapel that makes them look so trapped in a small room. It's cool. it, it just makes me so mad that they're like, they're so hypocritical. Like, oh, um, you know, Gilead can come for us. They can take our child away and make me a handmaid. And it's just like, you guys are so awful because you literally did that to every handmaid in Gilead. You did it to June. So like, I I think I wrote down in my notes, like, how does it feel now? You know, like now that it's happening to you, now you're not happy about it. You're trying to figure out how do we get around this? Yet you've been angry at June and other handmaids for wanting their children back and wanting to keep the babies they get impregnated with. It's just astounding at how hypocritical and mean and awful these people are. It's the dose of reality of what they created. Um, then Lydia's lecturing on Ruth and Elizabeth when we see Janine and Esther walking down a brightly lit hall in their handmade gear. Janine looking very proud of herself and Esther is going through the motions. Janine convinced her. Lydia's thrilled. She gives Janine credit. And then after they leave, she tells the other aunts to dawdle is an affront to God. And she's so happy. She's got all her power back. Everything mm-hmm. is coming up roses for Lydia. And she mm-hmm. smiles and nods to herself and walks off. Everything worked out. Oh, it's so satisfying. But I think like the music was really ominous. So I'm yeah. very curious uh-huh. what that meant. <laughs> what a right. future of those two. I love that. It's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. a new little power couple, power team on the right. rise. Yeah. I like them together. Mm-hmm. 
when June gets back home, Luke is waiting on the stoop for her as if he's been there all day and they look at each other. And I'm not sure what all is held in that look on Luke's side, just sadness, probably June too. But inside, everyone's delighted by all the new information on Hannah, Luke and Moira on the couch together. June's in a doorway by herself and Tuello's there too. Moira points out now they have a good man in Gilead and I appreciate her for that. Then Tuello drops his nuclear bomb. We have a new asset in Canada too. And you can tell it's bad news the way he hesitates when Luke asks who it is. And then he says, Fred Waterford. And June just stares at him. I know. Oh my God. And June just stares at him and finally repeats Waterford. And Tuella's uh, like hurrying through this. You know he's nervous. And he says he's agreed to share all his information on Gilead. And June asks why he would do that. In exchange for his freedom, prosecution has dropped his charges. Moira reacts first. You made a deal with him? That fucking piece of crap. I thought it was funny. She said fucking and then crap. Instead of <laughs> whatever. <laughs> love that too june appears to be somewhat calm so my testimony spooked him and you knew that and then you used that to flip him so he was using june uh, and tuello says you testified so the world could hear the truth and uh that pissed me off because she testified so he wouldn't be fucking punished asshole oh, i hate you tuello he says sometimes you have to let one one fish go to catch a bigger fish and then tells her to bring the hannah info by his office tomorrow and they can work on it as if nothing has happened i wrote lol you really don't know her huh and june <laughs> and he leaves and June turns slowly and Luke says her name and she looks at him with this whole new face on and then she starts walking outside faster and faster and then blows through the door and comes after Tuello physically and starts screaming that man is a fucking rapist and you know what he did to me you know you know what he did to all those women you know what he did to all of us I will kill you I will kill you and I love it so much it's so fucking epic how Lizzie does like turns that on I have no idea but it's fucking thrilling to watch Dave thinks something's wrong with me because I watched that scene so many times last year uh she's just so amazing and I wish she'd really come and the episode ends I think that when Tuello when she tells Tuello Uh, My testimony spooked him and you knew that and you used that to flip him. I thought back to their politicians and they have their own agenda. Mm -hmm. Um, So, Mm -hmm. you know, I know that obviously when I saw it, I was fucking pissed off, but this is what happens every day. She wasn't going to get justice and it sucks because we want justice for June. But if you see it wholeheartedly, it's like, okay, so either you get justice for June, which is of course, or you try to bring Gilead down and get justice for everybody else. And it's just a, such a sucky, mm-hmm. fucked up shit of these decisions and people with power. So I'm pretty right. sure that's, you know, why we got that. I mean, I was furious, but then trying to analyze it, it's like fucking A. Yeah. I still don't know what other, any his line about you have to let one fish go to catch other big fish. I don't know what other big fish they were going to get. They're all in Gilead. You have one in your possession do something with it like that lie just to me didn't make much sense it didn't feel like felt like a cheap excuse I guess for doing what they did Mm. maybe he just decided to talk and give them what they wanted for his freedom because when Serena says you know like what can you do for here that's all he has in order to protect his family which obviously now he's in dire need to do so because of the world he created I mean Torello mentioned future plans and this is something really important I think because knowing something ahead of time gives them like an advantage Mm -hmm. well just knowing how Gilead works their power structure is so important for names yeah they need to know who's who's on the top you know what are you doing they have no idea the handmade system they don't know 
anything. And so any bit of information that they can get to use against Gilead is effectively going to help bring it down. But how do they know Fred's even going to give them good information? Like they don't. Yeah, they they don't. But I guess they can kind of check. I mean, that is the CIA. Giving information already at the end of season three, like some like the council was uh, members of Boston and blah blah blah. It probably didn't give enough though, like what they were looking for. Because mm. I, I thought it was interesting, like when Moira said, "Now you have a good man in Gilead," meaning Nick, mm-hmm. and Tuello was like, "Yeah, he agreed with her." But then he's basic because I'm thinking like Nick, he has a lot of information too, and he's trustworthy where Fred is not. But I think because he's not high enough, no, that Tuello basically like I think he's keeping him in his back pocket probably, right? But thinking like Fred is better at this point because he's one of the creators. He was at the no. very top, so he would have more information, and maybe they think he would give more information because he wants his freedom, mm-hmm. so he has an incentive. Yeah. Did anyone else notice that, you know, when Luke was sitting there on the couch looking at what June had brought back, he was, you know, very overcome and emotional, obviously, but it was Moira that was sitting there comforting him and it was not, it was not June. Yeah. Yeah. She's always on the outside looking in with those two. And she even, like, it reminded me of when she was holding Holly in 407 and said, Luke and Moira are raising you. Like they're a unit. And then she had said, your daddy and I, you know, whereas making it seem like her and Nick are a unit. So that's exactly what I thought of because she does, she feels, she doesn't feel a part of them. No, I still feel like she feels like Nick is her family unit because in that scene, when she's like your first daddy, she also says, we're so lucky, aren't we? And I think she was talking about Nick and June being so Mm -hmm. lucky that Moira and Luke are raising their daughter. Like, we're so lucky, aren't we? I just want you to know about your first daddy. You know, it's like, I think that's how she sees herself. And then Luke and Moira as a family unit right now. Mm -hmm. And she's she's also very happy that he's happy, that she was Mm -hmm. able to give him this. You know, this is what she wants. You know, in her testimony, she says it. I I stayed so I can bring Hannah back to Mm -hmm. her father. Not Mm -hmm. to get Hannah free, not for me to get. I mean, obviously, I know she wants to get Hannah back, but it's just very, they make it a point, like, to let us know that she needs to bring back Hannah for Luke. Like, I'm not saying that's why she, the only reason she wants to do it. It's just, they, they highlight that a lot in the show mm-hmm. and she's really happy looking at him. Like I, I was able to do something, you know, mm-hmm. right. it was interesting. Mm-hmm. Time for our last deep dive. Mm-hmm. Exciting. So if you're a new watcher, you can go now. But if you are a longtime fan, stay tuned for our very last deep dive where we'll discuss the episode in the context of the show to date, which is just one episode further through season four. Somebody. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So much better with music. Okay, (laughs) go ahead. Who's got next? I just figured one, like forward, which is when Fred is talking to Putnam and he's like a prisoner exchange like do something for me and then in the end that's what fucks him over a prisoner exchange so you got what you wanted <laughs> yes. I, I just thought uh June's closing line of uh, I will kill you is very prophetic knowing what is to come I mean obviously Tuella is not who she kills but she was very much in that mindset in that moment and uh, that's going to come to fruition in a very big way obviously in the next episode right also, I found it was interesting when uh, Lawrence says he cannot do anything at this point, but then in the next ec- episode, he arranges that prisoner exchange <laughs> somehow. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, if it's it's not Hannah, of course, but still, he's like, it's a pretty big exchange, I think. Like, I don't know, because at first they didn't want to get Fred back, but in the end, it's like... Well, they wanted to get Fred to shut up, so they were willing, probably, they're just like meaningless women to them. So they're like, okay, yeah, okay. they're just women. Get rid of them and we'll, we'll take Fred. Was it just Martha's or was it Handmaid's as well? Just Martha's. I think it was the resistance. Yeah. There, mm-hmm. I mean, because Tuello seemed to know them. So obviously we know from the book that there is embedded resistance in Gilead. So they were resistance operatives, probably. I don't know. You know, we can put our tinfoil hats on, but I think they have people that infiltrated Gilead and they just wanted them back. They were their operatives. I don't I think Gilead really didn't care what happened to Fred. So if like no. he would have come back and be like, oh, I don't know. I opened the door and he ran whatever. <laughs> Some wolves got him. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't think they would have cared really. I don't think they yeah. were going to do anything to help. I mean, you know, thoughts and prayers. They didn't really care what happened to him. So it's just the optics of it. If the world finds out that a bunch of disgruntled ex-handmaids killed a commander I mean, they're not going to let that, uh, they're not going to let that slide. Yes. Do they care Fred is dead? No, God, they'd probably love to rip him apart themselves, but, but the optics of it look terrible. And then it it gives handmaids like, wow, look what happened. Yeah. Do that to our commander. Yeah. It definitely adds fuel to the resistance. I mean, it's, it's, it, it has always been like this, right? Like, and I think was, was it season one when this, when Fred talks about this aunt that get out and he's like, okay, sure. It's better when she's like, she's gone now. Like mm-hmm. they will not believe her. Like, because like in Gilead, people don't even know that there's a resistance. So and if they get to know like, oh, look what happened. Look, they were an army. They fought back and they killed their commander. And le- right. like, let's come on. We can do this as well. It's inspiring. And mm-hmm. We'll just have to see if that gets out. I mean, yeah. we don't know. We don't know. No. Also, I find it like kind of also quite nice that we've, we've got this heartbreaking goodbye of Nick and June. And it's like, okay, oh, they will never see each other again. And then boom, <laughs> next episode, we get this, like, is this well scene and this this sick, as Fred put it, kiss in the world. So it's like, okay, well, they are definitely not over. No, honestly, I feel like that kissed sealed the deal for them yeah. continuing to work together against Gilead. I mean, to me, that was it. Like, hey, we're mm-hmm. sealing this deal. We're in this together. We're fighting this war together. And we're going to continue that. To me, it was like a continuation not necessarily that they're going to be able to be together, but that they are going to continue to be together in their cause mm-hmm. against Kiliad. Yeah. And I love that. After the bridge, when they, Nick and June were separated, there was still kind of like hopeful music. So you kind of felt like they were going to see each other again. And then after 409, like one of the other reasons why the episode made me so heartbroken was because it really kind of felt like goodbye. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. like, please tell me this is not really it. Mm-hmm. And then we get that wonderful surprise in the finale. We're like, oh, hey, here we are again. Like, and we're killing people together and we're <laughs> happy. And like, it d- it definitely did not felt like that was the end. Like you said, it mm-hmm. felt like this is only going to continue us working right. together as a team. Kind of a beginning, even if they can't be together together, they will never be apart they'll be connected 
I had something about the name of the episode, which is called Progress. Mm -hmm. I know Megan mentioned about on Lydia making progress Mm -hmm. in this in this episode. But then at the beginning, we kind of see June and Luke making progress in terms of communication. Mm -hmm. We also see Janine making progress and trying to maneuver her survival in Gilead. We see June making progress since being in Canada, you know, trying mm-hmm. to, I mean, it at the end, it just completely gets fucked up, but there is a progress there, especially we talked about how different she, she felt when she met with Nick. And there's also, you know, if we can see it, the American progress about the information they might get against Gilead. So I thought the title kind of like covers a lot of progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And also like progress in getting Hannah out I guess or like finding like get new information Mm -hmm. on her yeah Mm -hmm. okay I think that's a wrap on our analysis uh season four episode nine of The Handmaid's Tale so come back on Thursday thanks for listening Bye. bye